You're listening to Mornings with Eric and Bridget right here on Moody Radio 89.3. Like all great building projects, the world runs on the wisdom of its architect, whether it recognizes it or not. But, you know, too often we attempt life based on our own understanding And that brings chaos, confusion, and consternation. So how do we respond to Wisdom's Call? Let's talk about that with Karen Ellis, who's director of the Edmonton Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity in Atlanta, Georgia, and also author of Wisdom's Call. Karen, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, friends. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, many times books are written because there's an issue. I want to help solve this issue. (laughs) <laughs> and I move forward with it. So Wisdom's Call was written because is this something you've you've searched for in your life and, and you're striving to find wisdom? Because we I think to a point we all are, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Well, I hope, right. you know, um, the closer we get to Christ, the more we realize we know uh, we need his wisdom to navigate the world that he's created. But yeah, you, you asked, you know, was there an issue? Yeah, the issue was me. (laughs) (laughs) I hear that. I was the problem. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about this in the prologue to the book in the introduction that, uh, you know, I, I, I asked for wisdom from God because I, I just realized I was creating a lot of collateral damage around me um, by trusting in my own instincts, trusting in my own uh, my own understanding, leaning on my own understanding uh, rather than seeking Him first, and then of course, you know, I when I asked for wisdom, all heaven broke loose, and um, I just saw a lot of uh, challenges where the Lord said, "Well, if you're going to seek wisdom, then that's going to happen, and you're going to learn these lessons in real time," you know, which is really what ethics is all about. I'm a theological ethicist by training and at heart, and um, it was about working out God's will, God's word, in real time, applying it to practical situations, looking for his wisdom uh, in the universe wherever he's revealed it, um, which is everywhere. You know, Romans tells us, Romans 1 tells us that he has spoken, telling us that he is, and um, and so, yeah, this uh, sort of these uh, hundred meditations that I ended up writing in Wisdom's Call sort of came from me looking at the difference between the houses of wisdom and the house of folly, uh, the house of folly being the world I was trying to create and just making death and destruction, and uh, the house of life for which we were all originally created uh, before the fall of man. So it came from my own meditations. It came from my own living, from my own life, and from observations I was making, um, uh, just looking at the whole sweep of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And discernment comes up a time and time again. It's kind of a central theme there. So can you just talk about how we, as, as readers of this resource, can develop and really enhance our discernment? Because that really helps us understand what is the wise decision or the wise call in each situation. You know, that's a great question because it makes me think about how the book is written uh, in a different way than I, I was originally intending. But it, it does serve, I think, as a model of how Jesus applied Scripture with the disciples as he was walking with them. He was discipling them by you know, drawing on things in their environment, in the natural world that he created, you know, John 1-1 tells us that, uh, that he is the creator and sustainer of everything that we see. 
And uh, he was explaining to them, this is how my world works. This is how my world points to me. Uh, this is how my world was designed to bring me glory. And so I think, uh, you know, just in writing these meditations uh, on his wisdom throughout the universe, I sort of take an approach like that where I just pull things, uh, pull observations from life, and together with the reader we unpack, hey, where is God in this? Where is God in this this seemingly random poem written by an atheist? Where does Romans 1, for example, come to play in that he's, re- he's revealed himself so that no man is with ex- without, uh, without excuse. Uh, no man is with excuse that he can say, oh, I don't know who God is. Even, even the unbeliever, even the, the natural world is shouting, God is. Someone made this. And so, um, yeah, so as you want, kind of wind your way through, I jump back and forth between Scripture. We talk about Solomon. Um, a man who uh, asked for God's wisdom, in, uh, who had already received God's wisdom enough to know that he needed God's wisdom, uh, is probably his greatest asset, and then made some incredible missteps and mistakes, uh, but he still remembered, you know, globally and historically and biblically for asking for wisdom so much that, you know, people came from, you know, thousands of miles away to find out what is this why are you the why are you considered the wisest man in the world? And um, kind of breaking down some of his ethical decisions, some of his ethical missteps, and um, looking at how we're really not that different, um, but that there is this consistent call from wisdom's house, from the voice of Christ himself, from wisdom himself, that's continually, continually calling us back to his house of life and knowledge and understanding so that we can have the discernment to navigate what I call, you know, they talk about the sweet by and by. Right now we're living in the nasty now and now. Mm -hmm. So how do we get through the nasty now and now and leave less toxic waste behind us? Mm -hmm. You know, as as you're discussing this, I was thinking wisdom, the, the other side of that, the opposite of it might be legalism. But then I said, maybe the other side would be vice, you know, what, what's controlling me. And so how do I break no. away from that? And I, I, I think part of it is who we spend our time with. The people that we're around, the community that we build helps us break away from that legalism or vice that is in our life that's trying to control us. That is so rich, Eric. And you know, uh, there's a part in the book where I touch on idols, and, uh, you know, that was the lie in the garden, right? right? Was trading, the, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, you know, and replacing, you know, him with it, whether it's the idol of self. All idols spring from self, you know, and from autonomy and trying to live God's, uh, live, live in God's world apart from understanding from God. And it's so interesting. I've been having this conversation with my friends about how, you know, we can say, oh, well, God wants us to remove our idols. He wants us, you know, and the, the, the idol is the thing that you're actually going to have fulfilled what only Christ can fulfill. And an idol will tell you, oh, sure, I'll give you, I'll give you everything you think you want. But they never deliver what they promise, just like drugs, right? They never deliver. The, high is, the first high is never, the second high is never as good as the first high, and then it's just diminishing returns after that, and then it owns you. But we were talking about how idols, when, when people say, oh, I need to remove this idol from my heart, that's actually not, 
biblical. The Lord asks people continually throughout Scripture. He's calling us continually to smash our <laughs> idols. You know, the, uh, the Lord asked Adam. He gave him. He had one job. His job in the garden was supposed. He was supposed to stomp that serpent's head, crush it. And he didn't do it, and so Jesus came to do it for us. He came to do what Adam did not and could not do. And so, uh, you know, when we think about, you know, removing these idols, it's like that's really insufficient. The Bible is really radical about, about what the house of, the difference between the house of wisdom and the house of folly and what they yield. And so when we smash those idols, if we don't smash those idols, you know how we do. Yeah. We'll stick it in the closet and then put, you know, a bunch of put, put your winter coat on top of it and your tennis racket and you know, and then a bunch of shoes. And then one day you're cleaning out that closet and you find that thing way back in the corner and you go, oh, I remember you. <laughs> and you you put it up on the shelf because you've only removed it. You haven't smashed it. And so that's a really great point is how idols. Idols are the house of folly. In Proverbs 7, 8, and 9, it's such a rich sweep of the reality of the two worlds that we have to choose from, the house of wisdom and the house of folly. So we know Proverbs is kind of the book of wisdom. In your book and in your meditations, are you swinging from that book to the life of Christ? Or where? what's the foundation? Obviously, it's Scripture, but where in Scripture are you most drawing from as you bring us to, to wisdom's call? I start with a foundation uh, in Genesis 1 through 3. You remember that little book? few years back, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Remember that book? <laughs> yes. Are y'all old enough? I don't know if y'all old enough. <laughs> but um, everything I needed to learn, uh, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Everything I needed to know I learned in Genesis 1 through 3. It is the foundation. It is the doorway for understanding not just the whole of, of the Bible, but the whole of life and how we got to where we are at this point in the nasty now and now. So I start there. And I start with wisdom himself, identifying wisdom as Christ. Wisdom, wisdom is the physics on which the whole of the universe runs. And he, as wisdom himself, by the time we get to Proverbs 7, 8, and 9, and we start talking about this, uh, these two houses of wisdom and folly, we realize that he has set up a story for us to understand where we fall in that greater story. Um, and, and this battle is ethical battle that everybody in Scripture, starting with our first parents in the garden and going all the way through, through Revelation, every decision that gets made in the Bible is a decision between life and death. It's a decision between God's way and, and folly's way or Satan's way. It's a choice between uh, life building and life taking, uh, between uh, flourishing and destruction. And so then I, I, I move us to Revelation, and we have a good, robust conversation about the perfection of all things and how this is our the hope of Revelation that's begun in Genesis when God creates a people for himself and he makes that promise to them, I will be your God and you will be my people. When By the time we get to Revelation and we're in his presence and we're around his throne and we're in the perfected house for which we were created with the conditions 
that we were created for, the peace, the harmony, the shalom, the abundance. When we find ourselves there, that's when we give the great shout and we realize that wisdoms, he has kept us. He has kept his own, his set-apart people in wisdom's house from the foundation of the world. And he's going to get us there. He's given us a way to, 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 to manifest that on earth as the people of God, uh, showing the rest of the world his glory by behaving as though we live in the house of wisdom. He's kept us there, and then he's brought us to glory. So I do take a, a whole redemptive historical approach from Genesis to Revelation, but the houses of wisdom and folly is the framework that I work with from Proverbs 7, 8, and 9. I don't know if you know the answer to this. If you don't, that's fine. I don't. Why, why do we call wisdom our sister? Why is it sister wisdom? You know, that's a great question, uh, because wisdom, you know, I established in the scripture establishes in the beginning that wisdom is Christ. You know, it's all over the New Testament. The New Testament writers wrote about it. It's in Genesis. You know, it's, it's, it's that, that by earth, by the, the Lord laid the foundation of the earth by wisdom. He is the creator of all things. Um, but it's almost for me, when we get to Proverbs, I mean, so we know that the, that the, you know, the, that sin was introduced in the world, into the world by, um, by our first parents, uh, you know, out of the, the, the Satan serpent tempted the woman and, um, and the, the man was supposed to cover her and protect her and he failed. And so then, okay, we get the fallen world. For me, when we get to Proverbs 7, 8, and 9, it's really interesting that the writer of those chapters, Solomon, writes that these two women are have these two houses. Now I think first off that's cultural for them that they would be that they would be the makers of the home in that era. But there's also almost a literary absolution that wisdom is personified in the female. That's not to say that don't don't walk out of here and say I said Jesus was a female. I'm not that's not what I'm saying. Okay, don't understand me. But he makes a literary choice to frame wisdom in the feminine. And, for, and the counterpart, folly in the feminine. And for me, as a woman, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful nod to the redemption that's possible uh, for all mankind, for all womankind, for all humankind. Um, so, yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Our time is up. And, uh, boy, I wish, there was a, I wish that we had a few more minutes. Um, I guess just as, just real quick as we wrap up, uh, the one question I did want to ask, and if you could succinctly answer, is you talk about cultural norms and biblical wisdoms. Are they often at odds? Uh, sometimes mm. they are. Uh, by God's grace, by his common grace, he has allowed us to build civil and just societies. Um, that that echo and mirror and uh, and propagate his principles, and that's a grace of God. Um, but there all there are times where cultural norms follow the pattern of destruction and, and uh, death, and um, that is since that's our normal orientation uh, apart from Christ. Of course, those individuals grow into families, grow into communities, grow into even nation states, and so you'll see both across history. You'll see a balance of both. And, and that's why we need wisdom, because right. those are minefields right there. We're talking minefields. They are indeed. 
need. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, you write about it in these meditations for a life in Christ. It's all in the book Wisdom's Call by K.A. Ellis. You can get a link to it and her at our website, ericandbridget.org. Oh, thank you for your time and mm-hmm. your help in this matter. We appreciate it so much. Oh, I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you.